Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. Welcome to today's podcast. Today, we are going to switch things up a bit. I am actually going to be on the hot seat of being the interviewee today, and a special guest, Victoria Chanel, who is a Centered in the City member, is actually going to be interviewing me. This developed because Victoria has a background in biotech and immune oncology, and she was really interested to learn more about my cancer history and journey. My story with my cancer survivorship is one I'm very open about, but one I never know really how much to talk about or where to bring it up or what people are actually curious and learning about. So I'm going to use her guidance, her wisdom of her questions to help illuminate and share my story. And hopefully it gets to help you or somebody in your life or your family that maybe just went through cancer, is going through cancer, or is in remission like myself. A little bit about Victoria. She is a multi-talented life science professional with over six years in the business. She specializes in immune oncology clinical trials with a background in biotechnology, healthcare, and sales. Victoria is also the chair of WIB, which stands for Women in Bio Programs Chair, and she's on the HIV Vaccine Trials Network Community Advisory Board. You can learn more about all Victoria is up to and her passions and her purpose in life in the show notes. I will share her whole bio. So settle in and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Centered in the City podcast, Victoria. Thank you, Wade. Pleasure to be here. So before we dive in, before I get to be in the hot seat, uh, I would love to hear, and maybe even sh- for people who are listening, if you could share, you know, being a Center in the City member, and you were a founding Center in the City member, just what you have experienced from using the platform, benefits you've noticed in your life, like things you've loved. Um, I think it's always helpful to hear from somebody, someone's personal journey. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so... I came across Center in the City, I believe that was last May, kind of when COVID was just getting started. I was 
working from home. You know, I switched to completely remote, just like many other people. Um, I used to, you know, I'm a regular, um, you know, I've done yoga on a regular basis for many years. Um, and I love going to studios. I mean, that's kind of, I felt connect, you know, connected with people when I'm in the same space. And so I really was missing that component. And I just kind of paused on my yoga practice. And I was just trying to kind of settle into living and working from home. So it was a huge transition as for everybody else. And then I really felt disconnected. You know, I missed just again, like everyone else, I miss people, especially women um, to connect with. So I came across this program and I was really curious. So I signed up to participate and I really loved, you know, the fact that it was a small group that we got to, um, you know, we did our Zoom calls and connected with each other. I just like the, you know, the, what it offers, um, for example, building your ritual, just kind of going back and figuring out, okay, how do I live, continue living my life, but in a more healthy, well way, instead of just kind of sitting there and reading COVID articles and what's happening, how do I just continue to be healthy and sane? And I love the fact that you, you know, the program offers like these three rituals you can, you know, do you want to be calm or energized or focused? And, you know, I have access to the videos at any time, because I loved waking up and just doing a short practice. And in the evening, I would do like a short meditation. And I love the fact that it offers like a two minute or a five minute, you know, just kind of, even if you don't have all, you know, all the time in the world you want, but you can still kind of create a little bit of time for yourself. And it really, I noticed contributed to just my positivity. Um, and just knowing that I'm participating, you know, this is part of my self-care, which was important to my mental health and my physical health. And I think it really kind of helped me get through these difficult times when there was so much uncertainty and um, just having a group to connect to. And I love all your posts on Instagram too. You know, I just love kind of following that as well. But, you know, and being remote, Again, I can just pop in and kind of get what I need out of the website. And then there's also the podcasts. I really enjoy, just love the, you know, the wealth of topics you have and all the knowledge that you bring. Again, I can pop in and like find an old meditation video and then you also update with the new ones, which I really enjoy. So, and just knowing that it's local here in the city kind of helped me feel more connected as well. Mm. Yeah, I love all that. And I am honored that you were a founding member and with your feedback and helped build it and contributed to our Zoom connection calls that we had. And, and also just emphasizing that you had a space that you could tap into whenever you needed it on your own mm -hmm. time and had practices at your fingertips to, to keep you grounded when life was feeling really chaotic in the work-life transition, you know, struggle, COVID, you know, and even though we're coming out of the pandemic, so we think here in the United States, I know not <laughs> in other countries and mm -hmm. globally, but, you know, how we can still have a centered space. So thank you for sharing your wisdom yeah. and, and your insights. 
yeah mention is you have a very soothing voice which goes well with the videos because I've noticed that you know now that we're on zoom all the time and we hear so much you know like all these meetings all day long it's uh you have a distinct voice that kind of goes along with meditation practice so I don't know if anybody's told you that before I have heard that before and I'm honored to hear it again um yeah thank you yeah I've heard people find my voice very calming and soothing (laughs) so I'm honored to like be able to offer that to people as a resource I used to think my voice sounded really scratchy and you know and that's it's just a demonstration of how our minds can be so critical of ourselves right when yeah yeah I think that's a common thing with humans is we hear our own voices differently than they actually sound and when I would replay zoom calls and hear myself I would also kind of cringe and be like really is that what I sound and then I'm like you know it doesn't matter if nobody complains about my voice it's fine (laughs) (laughs) well I'm excited to be in the hot seat today and so honored that you're here to um, ask questions about my cancer journey. You know, I, I share this a little bit in the intro, but I never really know. I've I've lived my story. I've told my story a lot of the times. And so I never know kind of what would be helpful for people to hear or what are people wanting to learn more about? Um, so when you reached out to kind of connect more about hearing mm-hmm. about my cancer journey, I thought doing this conversation on the podcast would be the best place so that hopefully these words and wisdom hopefully gets to help other people. So take it away. I'm excited to be in the inter interviewee seat. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm honored that you chose me to, you know, discuss this with, I know that cancer treatment and journeys are very private for a lot of people. And also, you know, being in the cancer research and oncology field myself, I know what cancer patients go through and how difficult it is. And, you know, partially it's because our healthcare system here, it's the way we're set up. Um, You know, you get diagnosed and a second later, you have to decide what chemo treatment you have to do. I feel like patients need a lot more support, but, and then the fact that you're so young, you know, it's, and then you beat cancer. Like it's a great story. And unfortunately, based on the research data I've seen, a lot of people do not, as we know, and it's, uh, it's, so yeah, it, it's a, it's an exciting story that I would love to learn more. First, I want to start with, tell me a little bit about your life before you were diagnosed. I grew up in New York City, born and raised, and I was studying American culture at the University of Michigan. And I decided to go abroad to Buenos Aires, Argentina, um, my junior year, second semester. And before I was diagnosed with cancer, I was very familiar with cancer. My mother had leukemia. She was battling CLL. I think it stands for chronic lymphocytic leukemia mm-hmm. um, for about 10 years at that point. And uh, my sister, my older sister uh, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, the same cancer I ended up getting four years prior to my own diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I have had, you know, 
godmothers and family friends who've had breast cancer or ovarian cancer. So cancer had always been very mm-hmm. prevalent in, in my world. Um, but it always, especially my mom's approach to it was always like her cancer was manageable. It, she mm-hmm. t- talked about it. Like it was just like the flu. So, you know, and health was a huge value in my household growing up. We ate really healthily. We had a Manny who lived with us, shout out to John, who, you know, was a masseuse and a yoga teacher and, uh, and, a chef. And so we grew up with these values really prevalent in our lifestyle. My dad is a big foodie, like so is my mom. We just kind of always paid attention to food, but food, not only from a nourishment and delicious perspective, but also from a celebration perspective. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of life. You know, um, I grew up very privileged. I had a lot of support, whether it was great teachers, great family, friends, great friends growing up. And then when I was diagnosed, I found out when I was in Buenos Aires, Argentina, when I was studying abroad, I had a swollen lymph node on the right side of my neck. Mm. And I didn't know what it was. Like, I didn't really know what a lymph node was, even though my sister had had the same cancer. Mm. I never felt lymph nodes on my body. And after various testing and conversations with doctors in Argentina and Spanglish, you know, they finally were like, you have other swollen lymph nodes in your chest cavity. You probably need a biopsy. You can do it here, but if you end up needing chemotherapy, the doctors in the States are probably going to want to do their own biopsy. So I literally within 24 hours had my bags packed and I flew back home to New York to get a biopsy. And I left half of my stuff in Buenos Aires because I was like, there's no way I have cancer. And I remember speaking to my mom on Skype when I was crying hysterically, being like, what the F is going on? She was like, you don't have cancer. Like, there's no way that, you know, there can be three of us that have cancer in the family. Like, just come home, we'll figure it out and you'll go back. Mm. And three weeks after getting back to New York, after I had the biopsy in my neck, I then also had a bone marrow, bone marrow test to determine what stage of cancer I was in. It then all came back to, you know, I have Hodgkin's lymphoma to, I think it was 2A. So phase 2A, which correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that just meant it's like in my chest cavity and above, it didn't go below my abdomen, Mm -hmm. the cancer. And, um, a girlfriend of mine who was in my study abroad program ended up bringing the rest of my stuff home. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a little snapshot of life before and the news. Uh, And that must've been challenging being in a different country thinking, are you sure you might be wrong with these tests? Uh, so that, did you have anybody there? abroad kind of helping you? I, it was very scary. It was very scary because not only, you know, was I just meeting these friends, probably I had met them for about two months at that point. Mm -hmm. So they're newish friends. I also 
didn't really know anybody, had some distant family, family friends down there, which in hindsight, I probably should have reached out to, but -hmm. it all was happening so fast. There was also like, I didn't think it was anything that serious. You know, Mm -hmm. I was feeling so good. I was loving life in my breath. Like it was one of the best times of my life. So the idea that I had cancer felt so astronomical that, you know, it was just felt like one step in front of the other to explore like, okay, what is this? You know, okay, I'll do the scan. Um, But it was really scary. It was very isolating and not being able to just call my mom or call my sister or brother Mm -hmm. or dad when I'm in the doctor's office, you know, have to go home to get on Skype. Yeah. um, Was a whole kind of other experience. Wow. And you were in your early 20s, right? This was was right after my 21st birthday. Yeah. And going back to your mom and your sister, um, you said that your mom treated like the flu. So did she have it kind of under control with her chemo treatment? And kind of how was your sister? How did she end up coping with it? Yeah. So my sister had, was diagnosed in 20, no, uh, 2006 and she's completely healthy and and cured as well. And she um, went through the same six months of chemotherapy that I went through. My mom, when she was first diagnosed, her CLL was pretty under control. Mm-hmm. However, there came a point, I don't remember how many years into it, maybe it was three or four where she needed her first round of intense chemo. And that's where she lost her hair. And I was, I think about 14 at the time. And then in 2009, my, my mom's uh, condition was getting worse and she was going to need a stem cell transplant. Oh, wow. And so she went to Dana Farber and got a stem cell transplant that summer. And my sister and I were both in New York. My brother was in DC and we were commuting like every other weekend to go visit Mm -hmm. her while she was up there. Because when you get a stem cell transplant, you're essentially wiping out all of your cells and getting these donor cells in hopes that these donor cells are a good match for your system. And the match was not a hundred percent for my mom. And so that next year from 2009 to 2010, my mom was not doing great. She knew she was going to need another round of, of, of donor cells. And so that was happening the summer of uh, 2010, okay, which was a month after I started my chemo journey. Oh, wow. So you were both coping. So we were, and we both joked about like, oh, we're going to go to Sloan Kettering, which is a hospital in New York city. We're like, we're going to go to Sloan Kettering and we'll, maybe we'll have chemo on the same day together. Like that's kind of (laughs) fucked up and maybe fun at the same time. You know, like we tried to have a sense of lightheartedness with the really shitty situation. And she ended up getting a, a addition of donor cells in July, end of July. And she ended up getting graft versus host, which means the yeah. donor cells start to attack her body. 
And that's common in stem cell transplants. Unfortunately, a lot of people's immune system, it just attacks these donor cells um, and, you know, an inflammation. And so that's unfortunate though, that she had to go through that again. Totally. And, and as you said earlier about like cancer patients is like, when you have a diagnosis, it is so fast. You have to make these decisions sometimes Mm -hmm. so fast. And so she had this decision of you cannot get another dose, but you might only last another six to 12 months, or you can get another dose and we can see what's going to happen. And my, you know, my mom was always risky and went for it. And it obviously came to bite us all in the ass later. Um, but that's what, uh, she ended up passing away from. Mm. So sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm giving you a zoom hug right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's been, you know, it's been almost 11 years and losing her is extremely still painful and a constant grief journey and process. And going through chemo and losing my mom was also extremely heartbreaking just to not have your mom when you don't feel good, you know, is, is heartbreaking. It sounds like your mom was a positive person. And I know that you know, psychologically, when you're coping with something so difficult, I think it really does make a difference if you remain positive and you believe that, um, you know, I can beat this. How did you feel when you were going through all this? Like, you know, were you just like, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope I survive. Or, you know, were you just trying to keep that positivity or like, I could do this? Yeah. I'd say both, you know, there, there was a little bit of the doom and gloom around logistics. Like mm-hmm. how am I going to pay for health insurance? Mm-hmm. How am I going to pay? Like once my mom passed, it was like figuring out her estate, like where am I going to live? Where, how am I going to finish school? So all of that psychological safety piece was kind of swirling around a little bit. And then there was also this place of, I needed to focus on getting well for myself. Yeah. Like I was in my own survival mode. And so I spent a lot of time. That's when my meditation practice really deepened was when all of this was happening because I needed something to keep me centered and keep me connected to my healing process. And so I would visualize in my meditation that my cells were healthy and happy and just sending love and calming mm-hmm. energy to them when I'd get chemotherapy, you know, instead of looking at like this poisonous drug that it really is, yeah. was looking at it, like it was liquid love. Like I love this, that. is yeah. liquid love here to kill the bad cells and make my healthy cells stronger mm-hmm. and healthier. And he was so grateful for the nurses. And so I look for those moments of connection of heart-based connection to be with the nurses, be with anybody in the waiting room, just like Mm -hmm. really sending out that love and positivity that I knew I was also needing to receive and practice to support my journey. Yeah. Yeah. I've recently, you know, started kind of, 
I guess, believing and visualization myself. Um, I think, you know, like from the scientific side of things, it's hard to kind of show proof that it works, but we, I think it really does, even if you don't have like, here's the clinical data to support it. But I think it makes a huge difference um, if you do see yourself, hey, I can beat this. And I think in the US, you know, when there's a diagnosis of cancer, people just think this is it, my life is over. Um, like we just have such a negative view. And like, I like to think it's like cancer, it's your own body for some reason attacking your own system, but it's still your body and it's possible to beat it. And I know that it depends on the stage, what kind of cancer and this and that, but I really think when you apply that you know, visualization practice and then meditation and find a way to keep yourself kind of calm while you're going through the most stressful part of your life. Um, I personally think it makes a huge difference. There's actually, I completely agree. And there's, there is some research that shows that visualization helps athletes perform like, mm. um, Olympic athletes who practice visualization. I forget there was a certain study, you know, if they can visualize the course that they're about to run mm -hmm. or sled down, that they perform better. And so okay. that essence, you know, you can bring in even without being an athlete, but whatever you're doing, whether that's, you're giving a presentation, whether that's, you're going to surgery, whether that's you're having yeah. chemo, you can take that, um, positive reinforcement of what your mind is seeing and mm -hmm. feeling and bring it with you. Yeah. Now, so how did this experience kind of change the trajectory in your life? Um, you know, was this something that inspired you to kind of start Center in the City? Um, did you switch gears um, what you initially wanted for your career? A hundred and thousand percent. <laughs> I used to want to be in the fashion world. Okay. I wanted to do something in fashion. I grew up like wanting to be a fashion designer. And once I realized I couldn't really draw that, that, <laughs> that idea left, but I knew I wanted it to be, all my internships were in fashion. And then I realized through this, what I call my shit storm of happening in mm. 2010, it was this awakening moment for me of how precious life is. Mm -hmm and how I really want to be in touch with what is meaningful to me in life. And so I spent a lot of time when I was going through chemo, took a break from school to reflect on what are my values? How do I want to live life? You know, what is, what does health mean to me? What does that get to look like? How can I prioritize that? Since that is number one, if we don't have our health, we don't have our lives. We yeah. don't have our abilities. And so I really focused on that and that brought me down. I was already a certified Pilates teacher. And so I kept doing that work, working with people one-on-one, -on -one, working with them in their bodies. And then that opened up the next chapter of wanting to support people on a different level. Cause I could hear from my clients how they were their worst mm -hmm. enemy instead of their best friend. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, I want some skills to help people on the inner work, more of the mindset stuff. And so that's when I went to coaching school and became a certified coach and then continued to deepen my meditation 
training and practices with different teachers and then getting certified through UCLA. And so, yes, it completely pivoted my life. And I'm always exploring the how, like, how do I get to support people? How do I get to help people listening to themselves on a deeper level? Because that is one of my missions in life. And Center in the City is just one of those vehicles. Uh, Working with clients one-on-one is another vehicle. Doing corporate workshops Mm -hmm. around stress management and anxiety is another vehicle. And who knows what other ways I'll be able to live this mission. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I just love the um, the variety of what you offer. Just the whole concept of self-care really became evident in, you know, last year and this year. And I hope that it'll continue staying focused for people, even when, you know, COVID kind of, I mean, people don't suffer as much, I guess, from it. But I still, I think Center in a City it's super important to kind of hang on to so you can continue this and not lose track of putting yourself in your own health first because hey we can't do we can't take care of anyone else we can't do anything if our own health is suffering you know so it's it's so critical to still keep our I know it's maybe it sounds selfish to some people but like you really have to take care of yourself first yeah <laughs> and that ends up being a lot of people's blocks around self-care and and building a sustainable ritual is taking that time, is claiming that time, is staying committed to a practice. And you probably know this from the ritual building section in the platform, but there's also space for writing permission slips for yourself. And I find that so helpful for people to write permissions. Like I give myself permission to take time for myself. Right. I give myself permission to say no to an obligation. Mm-hmm. I give myself permission to communicate with my husband or partner that they get to watch the kids in the morning so I can have this, you know, yeah. half an hour time for myself, like whatever it is. But there's that deeper belief system that people um, typically need support with reworking and rewiring so that they feel that they can and do deserve that time, that energy, that nurturing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Is there anything you want to say to somebody who is maybe going through the same, you know, they're going through chemo or whatnot, any kind of words of encouragement that you would like to give out there? Wow. What a beautiful question. Thank you for that. Moment by moment, just remembering like one step at a time. And to fill your chemotherapy journey or whatever treatment you're doing with as much things that bring you joy, like give yourself permission to do whatever the fuck you want, have good people around you Mm -hmm. and really be gentle with the post-treatment. I think that was the hardest for me was once I was technically cleared Mm -hmm. after my six months of chemo, I was not seeing my doctors as regularly. There's a sense of like, who am I? I'm not a cancer patient anymore, but I'm also Mm -hmm. not out of the woods and my hair is growing back and 
my body feels different. And, and so just giving yourself so much grace in that Mm. next stage after chemo, that healing stage and give yourself space to heal yourself. Cause you just went through trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, give yourself space to like heal the emotions that, that are there. Even if you think you're fine, there's maybe a layer deeper that just needs to be held. I love that. Yeah. I, I don't think that's discussed much, even as far as I'm aware, how do, you know, once you finish your chemo, you're done, you know, you don't see your oncologist that often, but yeah. How do you transition that period of transition back into kind of what your life, your normal life, if that's such a thing anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yes. It's such a needed bridge in our medical system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, it's something you can introduce later on as a, for, for patients, for healing practice. I think that would be great actually, now that I think about it to offer <laughs> that um, as patients are completing their chemo as an option for post-care, you know, mm-hmm. like here's something you can uh, incorporate into your daily life too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the way you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for sharing this very intimate story. It's, uh, you know, I find it, I, I think it's, I think it's great what you've done, you know, with your life and how to help others and how it kind of, you took something, like you said, such a negative traumatic experience and it, you created something that's so positive and, you know, so helpful to Seattleites and other, other women, other people as well. So thank you so much, Victoria. Those words really mean a lot to me. I'm so grateful for you and for being a part of the community and sharing your light and sharing your curiosity for this subject. And yeah, may, may what we discussed today ripple into the universe and, and help whoever needs to hear it. Victoria, where can people learn more about you and be connected to all that you're up to? I think the best place would be LinkedIn. It's just my first name and my last name, Victoria Chanel, C-H-I-N-N-E-L-L. I think I'm the only Chanel out there or Victoria Chanel out there. Um, but I'm also involved with Women in Bio, our local Seattle chapter here. Um, it's a nonprofit organization to support women who are in life sciences and we're all volunteers and on certain events. So, and you don't have to be a scientist or work, um, you know, in biotech or anything. You can check it out, Women in Bio, but I would just point to LinkedIn and, uh, and I'll shoot me a message if you have questions. (laughs) Amazing, amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here and for interviewing me. Thank you for sharing your amazing story. Thanks so much for listening to the Centered in the City podcast. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with somebody, somebody that you love, maybe somebody who's going through cancer themselves or who is a survivor themselves. Also, I'm so grateful if you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. This helps so much to get this podcast into other people's ears and hearts and minds. Until next time, stay centered.